Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this morning's worship service. My name is Brittany Salverda, and alongside my husband, David, we pastor Victoria Christian Reformed Church. This past Thursday was Ascension Day, and so today our worship is going to be focused on that. It's going to revolve around that, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, and then he ascended. And when he ascended into heaven, he took a seat on the throne at God's right hand, where he is reigning still today. We'll open up our time of worship by saying together the words of Psalm 47, which is a wonderful psalm celebrating the truth that our God reigns over all. The words will be coming up, and I invite you to participate with me by reading with me the words that are in bold. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we prepare for worship today, remind us again of the truth that you are King. Stretch our imaginations, Lord, to sense the majesty and mystery of your ascension and to see you as you are on the throne over all. Fill us with your Holy Spirit now so that as we worship you, we would grow in the praise, confidence, and hope that come from knowing that you reign. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hear now God's greeting for you. Grace to you and peace to you from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we sing who died. 
life to bring and lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of peace, his kingdom is at hand. From pole to pole let warfare cease and Christ rule every land. All hail Redeemer, hail, for you have died for me. Your praise shall Dave reminded us last week that repentance is a central part of what it means to, to be a Christian and to practice Christianity. We repent of sin in order to continually submit ourselves to Jesus our King. We repent of sin in order to continually stay in line with his kingdom. And we repent of sin in order to be a witness to others of the forgiveness, the freedom, and the holiness that are ours in him. We're going to go into a prayer of confession shortly. And as we do so, I just want to share that I have had this experience before of coming to a time of confession during a worship service and not feeling all that convicted of anything in particular. I'm sure you've had that experience sometimes too. And my advice to you is to not overthink that or worry too much about that. There will be times when the Spirit of God is really working in you to convict you of something. Some something you've done, something that you've neglected to do, some, some attitude that you have, some, some pattern of behavior in your life. And when that happens, we can bring that to our communal prayer of confession during worship. There will be other times when the Spirit of God is not convicting us of anything in particular, but that does not mean that we uh, tune out or opt out of confession. No matter how we are feeling, no matter how we are feeling, it is always appropriate to recite the truths that we are sinful, but God is our Savior. Yes, sometimes that will feel very raw and very fresh and very meaningful and very life-giving, and sometimes it won't. But either way, the habit of repenting and receiving forgiveness is a habit that we together want to be continually developing. So let's pray together now. I'm going to first pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to confess, and then I'm going to move into the prayer of confession itself. Please join me. Holy Spirit, as we enter into this time of confession, shine your light into our hearts and into our lives. Help us to truly see ourselves. Help us to confess. Help us to receive your forgiveness and help us to live again in the truth and goodness of your kingdom.
the words of the prayer of confession are going to be put up if you'd like to follow along. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you raised Jesus from death to life and crowned him King and Lord of all. We confess that we have not always bowed before him as fully or as readily as we ought to. We confess that we have not always acknowledged his rule over our lives. Often we prefer to have our own selves on the throne, or we give someone else or something else charge of our lives rather than you. Forgive us, Jesus. Bring us back in line with you and the ways of your kingdom. We want to be your faithful followers, submitted to you, surrendered to you, and delighting in you as our one and only Savior and King. In your name we pray. Amen. People of God, hear now the promise of God, the good news. The very same one who is now seated on the throne as king loves us so much that he died for us as the atoning sacrifice for all our sins. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In Christ, we are forgiven. Praise God. Amen. We're going to move now into a time of family prayer or a time of congregational prayer. And there were just two things that I wanted to mention to you before I went into that. The first is that I noticed on the news this week that on Wednesday, global cases of coronavirus surpassed 5 million. And while we are relaxing a little bit here in Canada and in British Columbia, there are countries in the world where the virus is still raging or just beginning to do its damage. So I'm just reminding myself and you to keep the globe in our prayers. And the other thing that I wanted to mention is that the deacons of our church, the deacon team, have brought to my attention a wonderful giving opportunity. The Canadian government has pledged to match any donation that we give right now to the Canadian Food Grains Bank four times. Food security is a problem right now connected to the impact of coronavirus especially in countries that are already vulnerable to food shortages. So let's give and let's be praying for organizations like World Renew and the Canadian Food Grains Bank who are working really hard. Let's pray that they'd be given wisdom and strength to do their work well and effectively. Please join me in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you are an almighty God, powerful to accomplish your purposes. We thank you, Lord, that you are also a faithful father, filled with love and committed to caring for us and the world. You are on the throne. You are in charge. As we pray, help us to see you there on high, that we might pray with confidence and hope 
calling on you to show your power and your love in our lives and in our world at this time. Here in BC and throughout Canada, we're thinking a lot about reopening. I pray, Lord, that you would help our leaders, fill our leaders with creativity and wisdom that they might guide and direct our communities well. Fill the leaders of our churches also, Lord, that they too might be following your guidance, that they might guide us in our plans to regather in whatever form that takes. In many places throughout our world, though, the coronavirus is continuing to rage, causing death and isolation and fear. We pray for the regions around the world today who are facing increasing numbers of new cases. Please, Lord, by your healing hand, bring about a stop to the spread of this disease. Quicken a discovery of a vaccine. Move to comfort those who mourn. Speak peace to those who are afraid. Bring companionship to those who are alone. And turn all of us to you as our only true source of help and hope during this pandemic and whatever else is to come down the road. We ask for a special blessing upon World Renew today and the Canadian Food Grains Bank. Bless their efforts, Lord, to help those communities who are struggling with food shortages right now. May they be your hands and your feet doing the work of your kingdom in the world. We pray to you. We trust you. Hear our prayers, Lord, and come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We turn together now to God's word. I'm going to be reading a passage from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. And my Bible titles this section, Jesus Taken Up Into Heaven. Hear now the word of the Lord. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The best way to grasp Ascension Day is to think of it like Coronation Day. That's not immediately obvious when you read the story of Jesus' ascension. Coronations, after all, are special and stately. Coronations include high ceremony and hoopla of many kinds. When Jesus ascends, he says a few things, and then he disappears. He gives some final instructions, and then he exits. He shakes a few hands, offers a few hugs, and then off he goes. But please hear me. This moment is not merely Jesus' exit. It's his enthronement. This moment is not merely Jesus' departure. It's his crowning. Ascension Day is Coronation Day. When I think of coronations, I think of Aragorn's coronation in the movie Return of the King, based on Tolkien's book in the Lord of the Rings series. And I just feel the need to apologize to those of you who are not that interested in fantasy literature. Last week, and maybe even a few other times, Dave made references to the Chronicles of Narnia. Here I am talking about the Lord of the Rings. I actually tried very hard to have another image of coronation come to mind, and I could not. The Salvertas are just in fantasy land right now. I'm really sorry about that. But anyway, rolling with it anyway, bear with me here. Aragorn lives a life of relative obscurity for some time. Then he takes up his calling and leads the fight against Sauron and all of his evil forces. Then he and his little team end up defeating Sauron at the gates of Mordor in an epic and beautiful battle. And then finally, at the conclusion of the whole long saga, Aragorn is crowned king of Middle-earth. In a way, Aragorn uh, was always king. He was heir to the throne all along, and he always demonstrated a kingly power and authority. But it is not until Coronation Day that he is finally on the throne and finally able to begin exercising the role of king over Middle-earth in fullness. It's the same way with Jesus. Jesus goes from a childhood and early adulthood, a relative obscurity at home with his parents in Nazareth. 
Then he formally takes up his calling at his baptism to bring the kingdom of God. Then, after all sorts of little victories and little expressions of God's kingdom, he clinches the ultimate victory by defeating sin and death and the devil through his death on a cross and and resurrection three days later. And then finally, Jesus is crowned king. That's what's happening when Jesus ascends. When we read the story in Acts chapter 1, it's the the moment from, from the ground. But what's happening from the bird's eye view or the heavenly perspective is that he ascends into heaven where he receives the throne that he is due as victor. Like Aragorn, Jesus was king all along, right? He he had that kingly power and authority. People saw that, they felt that, and they followed him because of that. But it's not until his ascension that he gets to a place where he can exercise his kingship, his authority, his reign, his rule in fullness. Ascension Day is Coronation Day. I'm going to ask two questions about this story now to help us get its significance. The first question I'm going to ask is, where does Jesus go? And the second question that I'm going to ask is, what is he doing there? So first, where does Jesus actually go? Like I already said, it's not clearly seen from the perspective that we are given here in this story. But not long after this moment, the apostles begin to teach, and they continue to teach throughout the New Testament and the early years of the church that when Jesus ascended, he went to heaven to sit on the throne at God's right hand. In Acts, Peter says, God has raised Jesus to life and has exalted him to the right hand of God. In Ephesians, it's written, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at at the right hand in the heavenly realms. In Colossians, it says, set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Those teachings and the other teachings that are sprinkled throughout the New Testament are condensed for us in the phrase in the Apostles' Creed, which Christians around the world have recited for centuries, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Let's do a little sidebar here to talk about heaven. People have all sorts of ideas about heaven. The Bible talks about it a little bit, but it doesn't give us uh, a lot of details. So I'll just put it as simply as I can. Heaven is the place where God dwells. Heaven is the place where God dwells. It is not another location in this world. You might think of it instead as a, as a parallel world or a different dimension. Heaven and earth 
uh, were together at the very beginning when God created all things. But when sin came on the scene, there was a terrible rift, a separation between the two. But at the end of time, heaven and earth will be brought back together again. Sin will no longer separate the place where God dwells from the place where we dwell. That's the picture and the hope we're given in the book of Revelation. Jesus began that process. He began that process of bringing the two together. He conquered sin definitively, and in so doing, he, he dethroned death, and he stripped the devil of any power he thought he had. And no longer under sin, but under the blood of Jesus, we, here on earth, have access to God and the presence of God in a brand new, special way. And Jesus, still a human, still in the body, still in the flesh, is there in heaven. So you see how this amazing coming together has already begun through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus began that work, and he continues the work today of bringing the two together again as God first intended them to be. Heaven is the place where God dwells. That is where Jesus go, goes when he ascends. And there he is given the throne. The most important detail regarding the place where Jesus goes is this idea of the throne. At the time that Jesus lived on earth, doing his ministry, God's people, the Jewish people, they totally expected, they totally expected that God would send a powerful king who would restore God's kingdom to the world. They expected that. They expected God to send a king. But they expected that king to have a throne and do his work from Jerusalem. But Jesus, the king that God sent, didn't take a throne in Jerusalem. He took a throne in heaven. And because it's in heaven, it's not just a place of authority. It is the place of authority. The heavenly throne is the place of highest authority, ultimate authority. Jesus is not just one king among many kings. He is the king. He is the king of kings. Jesus doesn't just rule from one place among many places. He is ruling in the place above all places. On the throne of heaven, Jesus' rule is not in any way limited. It's infinite. On the throne of heaven, Jesus' reign is not restricted. It has no boundaries. On the throne of heaven, Jesus' kingship is not restricted. It is not held back. It is literally everywhere and over everything. So that's where Jesus is, in heaven, on the throne at God's right hand. But moving on to the second question now, what is Jesus doing there exactly? You know, King Aragorn's coronation, back to Lord of the Rings, the coronation scene, 
is near the very conclusion of a very long trilogy of movies slash books. Watching the movies, on the one hand, we get this, this idea that, of course, there's a happily ever after. That's implied. But on the other hand, our experience is that the movie is done. The screen goes black. The credits begin to roll. It's finished. It's ended. But that's not how it is with King Jesus and his coronation. The movie hasn't ended at all. It's still going. Jesus' ascension is not really an ending. It's a beginning. It's not a conclusion. It's an introduction to a new scene, a new part of the story. Everything that happens before Jesus' ascension is kind of like phase one. And everything that happens after Jesus' ascension is phase two. What is Jesus doing? Well, he is now, from his throne in heaven, pouring out his salvation onto his church and then into the world through his Holy Spirit. The disciple Luke really understood this. He wrote the book of Luke, recording all that Jesus did when he was living on earth. And the last story that he wrote down in the book of Luke, which Dave talked about last week, was Jesus' ascension. But then Luke went on to write another book in the Bible, the book of Acts. And the very first story that he puts in the book of Acts, the opener, is a repeat of Jesus' ascension because it begins the second phase of Jesus' work, the work that he does now from the throne in heaven, the work of sending his spirit to his church, that his church might know and experience his salvation and then share the message of his salvation with the world. Jesus' work now is different than it was in phase one. He's not here in the way that he once was. But his work is actually better now. And that's not just me saying that. That's not just my opinion. That is something that Jesus himself said to his followers. He told them, sometime soon I'm going to be leaving, and you're going to be pretty sad about that. But it's actually better for you that I go that I ascend and return to my Father in heaven, because from that place I can send you my Holy Spirit, and I can continue the work that I have started in a new and more powerful way. Before he was just one guy in one place, but now from his throne in heaven, he is carrying on his work through his Spirit through hundreds and thousands of people, in hundreds and thousands of different places. Phase two of Jesus' work is an awesome phase. And we are living in it. We are living in it. This defines who you are. This defines who I am. This defines what we do. We are part of King Jesus' ongoing work. 
We are receiving and experiencing his salvation. And we are part of his plan to extend that salvation throughout the whole earth until the day when heaven and earth are completely one again. Before concluding, I am going to sneak a third question in. We've talked about where Jesus went and what he's doing there, but some of you might be wondering, is this for real? Is Jesus really king? Is Jesus really on the throne of heaven? I mean, a pandemic has been raging around the world. While we here in Canada are beginning to to see some signs that give us some relief, the coronavirus is really ramping up in other countries. Countries that are maybe not as well set up to handle it. For some of you, it's really hard to reconcile this truth that, that Jesus is king. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus is king and reigning over all things, but it's hard to reconcile that with the fact that that your life and the lives of your friends and the lives of folk around the world that you read about or watch on TV are so filled with pain. Is Jesus really on the throne? I'll give you the shortest, clearest, most truthful answer. Yes, Jesus really is on the throne. Yes, he really is in charge. It's just as true today during COVID-19 as it has always been since his ascension, his coronation. When Jesus, by his spirit, sent out the people of the early church, those first apostles and those first disciples with their message of salvation, the message that they proclaimed was not, the world is all better now. There is no more sin. There is no more death. There is no more pain. No, that was not the message that they were sent to speak. That's not what they believed, and that's not what they proclaimed. Their message, instead, was that there was a new king on the throne. There was a new CEO in the head office. There was a new captain at the helm. Their message was that no matter how it looked, no matter what was actually going on, sin no longer called the shots. Death no longer charted the course. The devil no longer had the power to steer the ship. Jesus had conquered those things. Jesus is victor, and God has put him on the throne. And from that place on high, Jesus Jesus, Jesus has the power and the authority to bring this world to God's desired end, the renewing of all things, all things under his feet to the glory of God the Father. Ascension Day is Coronation Day, brothers and sisters. And that is such a good news. Now seated on the throne in heaven, Jesus reigns over all. 
now seated on the throne in heaven, Jesus is at work pouring out his salvation by his spirit through his church everywhere. Thanks be to God, and to God be the glory. Let's pray. Open our eyes to see you, Jesus. Open our eyes to see you, Jesus, risen, ascended, and now reigning as king. Give us faith to see you there on your throne. Renew our hope in all that you are doing and will do. And give us the courage, Lord, to continue to answer your call to join your work of pouring out your salvation on everything, everywhere. And let's conclude this prayer by saying together the Lord's Prayer, that prayer that Jesus taught us all to say. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's celebrate Jesus' ascension with a song.
I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And now I, I bless you. I bless you. Go forth now in the power of God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace now and always. And all God's people said, Amen.
his face shine upon you and be gracious to him. The Lord turn his face toward you.